Welcome to Real Talk, discussions about sex and sexuality. Join your host, Ray, a former romance enhancement consultant who's currently pursuing a graduate degree in human sexuality, as she has discussions to create open minds and a safe space to discover and unpack new and existing points of view on topics of sex and sexuality. No topic is taboo or risque for this podcast. No guilt or shaming is allowed. Listen in. Stay tuned. Welcome. Welcome to Real Talk Discussions About Sex and Sexuality. This is your host, Ray, and this is Episode 5, The Birds and the Bees. In this episode, we'll be discussing our first conversations about sex, how they influence our conversations today, how we have sex, and how we think about sex. We'll even be discussing some of the things that fall in between. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Now we're ready to jump right on in into the hot spot for episode five. And we're going to be talking about the history of the vibrator. Now in 1869, American doctor George Taylor invented the very first vibrator. That's right. Put it on the market and it was steam powered. Can you imagine a vibrator steam powered? It was handheld I think um, according to the picture that I saw I believe that was the model of it but I can't imagine that it was steam powered and being able to use that and not being so distracted but it was what it was and I guess it got the job done because it's evolved all the way to right now to 2018 and it's still going it's still creating but in, in 1869, Dr. George had it going on and he came up with this concept. And then um, about 1880, um, in the mid-1880s rather, a second model was introduced, which was a British model. This one was a hand crank. That one kind of stayed on the market up until about the late 1920s. So for those two models, they were basically the only two that were out there. Again, it was the steam powered and then the hand crank. And they appeared in ads that were in the cure all magazines that were geared towards women and and the Sears and Robux ads. And they made claims such as they were able to help keep women young and they provided a glow for them which was the reason why they made them stay young because of that that glow and all of these things and then um that they could even use it in the pot in the privacy of a dressing room or their boudoir hmm it it kind of makes me wonder if it was steam powered was it quiet if they could be in a dressing room or a boudoir huh anyway so the um advertisements ended up being um shut down once vibrators started to be shown in pornography and erotic publications so 
even when they were in the back then the blue movies or the nudie magazines that's when they started to pull them from publications so now to go back a little bit and let you know some of the history on why um, the the doctor is the one who created if you are even wondering why it was a doctor that created the or invented the vibrator let me just share this with you so it was once thought that women when they were irritated and agitated and frustrated nagging their husbands that there was something mentally going on with them they actually thought that there was some type of mental disorder going on with them so husbands would complain take them to the doctor hey doc something's wrong with my wife can you take care of this can you handle this for me so the doctor would take the wife into the office talk to them a little bit he would end up laying them on the table and manually stimulating their vaginal area that's right he would end up manually stimulating manually masturbating them to orgasm so after they had their orgasm they were relieved they were relaxed they were happy they were all right they were good to go so the husbands were happy and whenever they got back in that state again they take them right back to the doctor and the doctors thought it was a form of hysteria so at a point it got to they realized that that was not the case um, after um, people like Johnson and Johnson came along and did some research and even before then but there was research done to help uh, help it to be founded that there was no hysteria there and there was no, no need for that. So then that is how the vibrator was then just geared towards women's pleasure and being put in the ads. But at the same time, they were not put in ads for sexual pleasure. So it was not until about round about um, the 70s that vibrators were put into ads where it was solely for the pers- purpose of sexual stimulation and sexual pleasure. As a matter of fact, back in the 1950s, there was one company that marketed a finger vibrator, which was marketed as being approved by dentists. It was sold for $7 and it was called the gum massager. So it was a finger, a single finger, put on the end of a vibrator. And the ad, you can still find the ad if you Google it, gum massager, and the company is Vibra Finger. If you pull it up, you'll see the ad and it says, Dennis recommended daily gum massager. And it says it stimulates gum tissue, increases and improves circulation. I bet it does increases um sanitary fits your hand cleansing and refreshing it also offered a money-back guarantee so that was one that was on the market it was put out there it did say for your personal use and again it was put out there by dentists so if it was put out there by healthcare professionals 
then it was deemed to be okay outside of the fact that the porn industry was using it, quote unquote. Um, So yeah, so up until about the 70s, it was marketed as something for health use. It wasn't something for sexual pleasure, but then in the 70s, it was on and it was popping and vibrator was being able to be used. So, you know, that's a little bit of history for you. Quite interesting if you ask me. Um, But if you think about it, we've gone from steam powered, which I'm going to call it type looking things to vibrators and dildos that are made from different types of materials such as glass and wood, silicone and a whole lot of other materials having different looks looking like the male penis all the way up to squirrels and other types of objects so quite interesting If you want to get this information, um, it's all over the internet. But I got my information from um, a publication on a website called SheKnows.com. The um, author is Heather Barnett. It was published in May 2013, but the information has not changed. And I would recommend, if you have a chance, you're in New York, Go to the Museum of Sex. I believe it's on 5th and 27th. Quite interesting. They have a whole section about the vibrator. And it it's just quite interesting. Check it out. And stay tuned. We'll be right back to jump into the topic. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for hanging in there. So now we're about to jump into the topic of episode five, the birds and the bees. So we all have at some point in our lives, whether it's in our homes with friends, TV, school, heard the term, the birds and the bees, or maybe some of us haven't, but the birds and the bees, that generally means the topic of sex. When parents have to talk about this with their children or caregivers and guardians talk about it and introduce the idea of sex with their children. So part of the reason I wanted to do this topic as a um, podcast is because society is still kind of looking at sex as this taboo thing or something we really shouldn't be doing or when it comes to women that women shouldn't be owning their sexuality shouldn't be asking for what they want and that in in the case of with men men are able to have sex and do whatever they want and just be carefree so that double standard knocking that down but making The topic itself being something more of a more natural topic because it's a part of human nature. It's a part of everyday life. Everybody somewhere is doing it. So it's something that should be able to be talked about without any shame and guilt behind it. Certain things you may want to keep private, but the whole idea of this topic is to kind of get an idea of where we got our messages from and see how it impacts how we have sex, how we think about sex and how we talk about sex. So, and I say it in that order because if 
we're not just open to the conversation and, and we feel that it's not something that we should just be talking about openly, then it, it's stuff that is going on behind closed doors or we're talking around it. So it's kind of still private, still closeted, still, you know, not just out there and not free to be discussed. And then when we think about it, that's still something that's kind of private. It's still, it's in our minds and it doesn't come out until we share it. Sometimes when we see things when we hear things we have expressions on our face that show "Mm, why are they talking about that they shouldn't be talking about that or that's a bit too much but we want to try to help get people away from that and because something is not something that's interesting to you it's not what you do what you're interested in or into or even worth exploring it doesn't mean that it's wrong it's bad it's nasty it's gross or anything like that whatever someone else likes doesn't mean you have to like it in order for it to be right or it for it to be good so that's kind of my purpose for this so i want to start by thinking of where we first got our ideas of sex, where we first had those talks, where those messages came from, whether they were verbal messages, nonverbal messages, implicit messages, meaning they were just kind of implied and not really um, given to us in the context of let's have this conversation about sex. So when I think of my first experience, I think of, and my parents would probably kill me, But I'm going to share with you guys because I'm sure neither one of them are going to listen to this podcast. But I can remember probably being about six or seven and being asleep, but being waken up to music. So I get up. I come out of my room. I walk into the living room. I see my parents in the living room dancing. And they're slow dancing with one another. And I don't even remember the song. I just remember what was going on because I was like, "Uh, I don't think I should be looking at this. But they both had on robes, but I could tell the robes were not clothes. So just the idea of what are they doing? And I didn't feel disgusted by it. I didn't feel any kind of shameful way other than. I don't think that I should be watching them do this. But the other side of that was I didn't go to either one of my parents the next day or any time after that, for that matter, and say, hey, I saw you guys doing this. What were you doing? Because I didn't know that it was okay to ask that. And one of the issues that can come along with that is when children are exposed to certain things, whether it's consciously, we know that they're being exposed to it, or it happens and we're not aware that they're being exposed to certain things, whether it's TV, in school, out with friends or family, or any place where we have no control over it as parents, guardians, aunties, and uncles, and whomever, then they're going to be learning that information. So if they're asking the question, that means they're old enough to know. And of course you talk to them on their own level. You don't really give them all of the guts and gore of it all and overwhelm them, but you give them the information so that they can understand it. So again, so that was my first message that was received about sex. And again, I didn't ask anything about it, but I just wonder what were they doing? So 
my mother would always tell me if you have any questions. And this pretty much began after I got my period for the first time. And she was telling me, okay, so now your body's changing. You're being, uh, you're developing into a young woman. Now your body's able to have babies. So that means you make sure that you're not having sex. And when you want to have sex, you tell me we're going to put you on birth control. That was the other message that I remember. And it made me feel like, Oh, I don't know if I would really want to ask or talk about it just because the tone kind of changed from this glorious thing of, okay, your body's changing and now you're becoming a young woman to, okay, so now you can have sex and get pregnant and this is what we're going to do and you better not be having sex. That completely changed. It was like night and day. However, if I had questions, I would ask my mother and I think I was open to exploring different things about sex. I know um, in high school when we had health class and or maybe it was middle school. I think it was middle school, like seventh grade when we had class um, health class and we talked about sex education that pretty much covered the reproductive system, puberty, um, talking about periods and boys ejaculating and having wet dreams and the stages of puberty, then talking about STDs. And this was a, a bigger portion, it, the way I remember a bigger portion of that health class, because now that I realize it was kind of like a scare tactic. So if you have sex, you can get this disease and this is what it's going to look like and this is what it's going to do. And people see you as being dirty and no one will want you and placing all of this stigma from that very young age instead of saying that this is what it is. This is how it can be treated. And just given the knowledge that may be needed around it, instead of further creating the stigma in that closed setting that outside society had already been pushing on everyone. And then they would also teach about abstinence. So no sex at all. Um, I don't remember too many um, conversations or topics being brought up about condoms outside of this is a form of birth control, but no sex is better than um, using birth control. You can't get an STD if you don't have sex, so on and so forth. So that was still pretty a pretty negative viewpoint of sex. It wasn't made to be positive or one that could remain neutral if that's even a thing but then you would have conversations with your friends and things that your friends would talk about and then you know if everybody else is talking like they're having sex you want to talk like you're having sex too and knowing goodness well you ain't doing jack shit but um, for the ones that are, you're listening and you're taking it in. At least that's what I was doing. And for me, I, I wouldn't contribute because if I wasn't having sex at that point, then I'd just be listening, laughing when they laugh and asking questions. So in my asking questions, I was gaining more knowledge and learning. So when other friends that who really weren't experienced and you can kind of tell would say things that ask questions, I would kind of give the responses that I gathered from the other friends that I had that were having sex. And then on top of that, I was watching TV 
And this is when Dr. Ruth would come on. And Dr. Ruth was the first person that I knew of that was a sex therapist, a sexologist. And she would be on, and I believe it was either channel 20 or channel 50. And if you're, if you were able to see that back in the 80s, like early 80s, this, the channel would be real snowy. You can hear better than you can see, but I would try and watch that. So I would listen to the things that she would say and not knowing what was a closed minded view of it, what was accurate, what was inaccurate. I was just taking whatever I can get and just thought to myself, this is so interesting. So I took that information in and whenever somebody asked a question, whenever somebody said something, I was able to give them those little tidbits and it made it seem like I really knew what I was talking about and what was going on. And then I would also share with my friends, well, my mom told me anytime I have questions, I could just ask her. So my friends would ask me questions and be like, hey, ask your mom a, B, and C, and woo, woo, woo. And I would do that and come back to them with an answer. And they'd be like, oh, man, Ray, you you got all the answers. And that's kind of what kind of kept me pumped and kept me more interested because I was helping people to learn information about what they didn't know about and what they were curious about. And then it was something I was extremely curious about. So as I grew older, I started watching things like on HBO, Real Sex, Taxi Cab Confessions, and going back to being young, Benny Hill, Benny Hill. Oh my goodness. Benny Hill was my show. I can remember being like 10 or 11 and trying to stay up till I believe it was like 11 o'clock to watch Benny Hill. And I was so excited. So I would watch the little funny things and I would kind of draw conclusions from that. So that wasn't really so much of a learning experience, but I was trying to get the sex in where I could get it in and fit it in. And my mom caught me one day and I believe this is what prompted her to say, well, you know, if you have any questions, you can always ask me if I don't know, I'll find out for you. But anything that I can answer, just ask me. So that was kind of the the messages that I got as I was growing up, where they came from. So if you want to share where you received some of your messages from, what some of those messages were, some things that were funny, some things that you feel that may have impacted you and you wish you would have gotten a different experience, please, if you're listening in on the Anchor app, you can always send a message. If you want that message to be played during the podcast, I will be happy to recap um, on this particular topic to play that information because sharing is caring guys and if we share information we know that we're not alone and other people are feeling and thinking and have received some of the same messages that we have so it's about normalizing and making other people aware that you know what it's okay to have these thoughts it's okay to do these things and to want these things and even just want to know about certain things even if you're like well I don't know that I would ever try that because you may get to the point where you're like, hmm, well, maybe I'll see what it's about to, well, I think I'll try to just once. 
and then be like, oh, that's my shit right there. So it's just a matter of being knowledgeable. So that whole phrase, knowledge is power. I truly believe that. So when we get our information, especially about sex and when we've gotten it in a less than sex positive way as younger people, it affects what we think about sex, how it should be. It it frames our values and our beliefs, which are values and beliefs that are generally put into us by other people. And sometimes it takes over so much that we are suppressing our own thoughts, our own wants and desires, and we're not able to create our own beliefs and our own values. So just keep that in mind. Think about it. Ponder on it a little bit. Think about where those messages came from and then what you really feel when you have someone to talk to. Have that conversation with them. Share that and see like if if I feel that sex before marriage, that's what I should be doing and I feel guilty because I want to do this. Having a conversation with someone who's going to be accepting of whatever it is that you're feeling and thinking, even if they're in in on the other side of that and they feel that that is the case, if you can do it and be non-judgmental, be non-biased and just have the conversation and talk it out, then maybe that can help suppress some of that guilt and kind of decrease it so that, you know what? I know this is what I taught, but this is what I feel. What does it really mean to me to do this or to not do this, to think this or not think this, to say this or to not say that? And never know, things may change. Things may say the same, but it's worth exploring. So some of um, the messages that we also get that teach us or some of where we get our messages that also teaches us about sex is through what else? Porn, magazines, adult magazines. So magazines like Playboy, Hustler from back in the day, Penthouse, those types of things. And now that we have the internet, oh my gosh, you can see any and everything on the internet from just regular heterosexual sex, something where it's missionary to doggy style, to reverse cowgirl, all different types of positions, the wheelbarrow, the scissor. You learn different positions. You learn different things. You learn about orgasming and you learn about touchless orgasm. You learn that there's vaginal orgasm, clitoral orgasms, like all of these different things are available to you, not only in in porn through the Internet, not only is it where you can go to a porn site and see porn, but they also have places where you can see amateur porn and you don't have to pay. So it's very easy to get this information. However, you got to be careful because in the porn industry and I'm not knocking porn whatsoever. Actually, I quite enjoy it. But what I'm saying and what I'm getting at is that we can get a false sense of reality from pornos. So a lot of times in pornos, we see the males with larger than average penises. We see women that are 
taking double penetration and they make it look like it's easy or we're watching women squirt and is it really squirting? Is it the special effects? Have they poured water inside of them and then pushed it so it would project outward? Are they actually peeing? And we did do last episode on squirting. So you have a little bit of knowledge on how to tell one way or the other. But watching that, you wouldn't really know. Is it something they're really doing? Or again, is it just a special effect? So the the sound effects that they make, like we kind of mimic those things. We look and we learn from that. But when it translates into actually performing those acts with someone else, ourselves, it doesn't play out that way. Or a female or a male that is into males, they come again, come up against another male partner or penis wielding partner and they're expecting or have an expectation that they're going to get the same kind of sex that they see in the porn or the penis size is going to be about the same size as they see in the porn. And because it looked like the woman in the porn was enjoying it or whoever in the porn was enjoying that size penis, then they feel like they may be able to enjoy that size penis and that's what's going to be good. But that's not actually how that happens, at least not all the time, every time. So porn is about fantasy. Porn is about um, arousal and kind of setting the mood almost a certain type of foreplay and stimulation. But it can be used as a learning tool, but you have to be mindful of what type of porn you're watching and knowing that the people that are in this industry, they're in this industry for whatever their personal reasons are. They were selected by producers because they had certain qualities. And if you look at what's more so a feminist type porn, which is more of a sensitivity to how women are treated or looked at in porn or how men are treated and looked at in porn because both can be objectified. So removing the negative stigmatism behind that, that every penis doesn't have to be a huge penis to provide pleasure. Every vagina doesn't have to squirt in order for it to be a pleasurable orgasm. And sometimes orgasm isn't always the final destination of that journey. So you, you see some of these things and you take what you can from each. But when you're looking at it, just be mindful that what you see on TV, everything is not real. So this pretty much wraps up this, this um, part of the, the topic. Um, the last thing I just want to touch on are some of the things and some of the ideals that have pretty much been placed in a lot of us and is out there that is driven in society that this is what this should be when sex is involved. So it's things like sex is for procreation. So it's only for having babies. That's what the messages was long, long time ago, years ago, where women weren't supposed to want to have sex for enjoyment. However, their husbands or their mates and 
again, um, because um, what I didn't mention earlier was that we also get some of those messages from religion and our religious beliefs where we'll, it'll say that sex outside of marriage is considered adultery. But what if you have an alternative relationship and that's your agreement? Both parties are okay with it. Then is it a sin? And according to the Bible, for those who read and believe and live by the word of the Bible, it says that the marriage bed is undefiled. So some may bring that message across and say that that means it's only for this man and woman and they can do what they want, but only with each other. And then some can say that it's for the man and woman. They can do whatever they want sexually to please one another. So then it becomes subjective of, okay, what is that thing that they can do to please one another? Why is this excluded? And that's not excluded. So Religion is another thing, another place where we receive some of those messages. But when um, way back, like forever, the thought uh, was kind of given of, um, especially from a patriarchal view, women are not supposed to enjoy sex. It's not supposed to be for pleasure. Thinking about the the um, hot topic with the history on vibrators, hell, husbands were taking their wives to doctors. Doctors were stimulating them to bring them to orgasm because they thought they were in a state of hysteria. So that just goes to show you that, okay, it wasn't about pleasure. You're not supposed to be doing this for pleasure. It's supposed to be for a purpose. And that purpose was being taught and being um, put into the atmosphere and um, creating those beliefs and values that it was for procreation. Then sex is only for people in marriage. Some of the messages that are given to children is, so sex is something that married people do. And then they get fucked up when the kid says, but you and daddy aren't married or but you and daddy aren't married now. So what does that mean? So it kind of puts you in a bit of a bind when that happens and the child shows that they have a little more smarts, even if they realize that that's what they're using, than you expect for them to have at the age that they're having this conversation with you. Because now it's not just you having a conversation with them. They're having a conversation with you and challenging, challenging you. So it's, it's very obvious that sex does happen outside of marriage. And it may be important to say because that is one of the things that kind of brings the shame and guilt behind the sex. And if it's a very good experience, then someone is feeling very shameful and guilty about what's feeling really good and then may be confused. Also, if a person goes into a sexual experience and they're thinking, I really want to do this or they're just married, they marry young, whatever the case is, having that thought that, if 
it's not because they're, I mean, if it's because they're not married, that can alter what's going on in their brain. So the cognitive portion of it can affect the physical and it could play a very huge role in whether or not they are enjoying that sexual experience or not. So a lot of times when we hear that, well, my first time hurt so bad or was so uncomfortable. It really wasn't good. I wish I could do that over again. Or I wish I would never have done that that way at that time, at that age, so on and so forth. And it could have very well been the fact that all the messages that we had were floating around in our heads and making us feel bad about it. And we were pushing past with our our desires and what we were feeling and saying, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And when we did it, that had more of an influence than actually was realized. So then another thing um, that's very important, especially in today's time is that sex only happens between a man and a woman. So I am not the source of truth for anyone, but what I will say is I share my beliefs and and am happy to say that this is what I believe. I don't want to impose on anyone else what I believe. I put it out there to give you something to think about, to have another perspective and to have a conversation. But we know that the LGBTQ QI community is extremely large and vocal and present today. And like they are amazing. Anyone that falls within that community are amazing. Now, everyone is not as open, um, sexually open, are not as open-minded as you may think. But then there are so many that are and that if you have a conversation without judgment, without bias, and just listen to what they have to say from their perspective, you may not agree. You may not be like, oh yeah, I'm going to try that. But it gives you a different mindset of what life is like for them, what sex is like for them, and how to be able to appreciate something that someone else enjoys that you may not be interested in and to be able to accept that and it be okay. So sex in my opinion, can be very fluid. So you hear on TV, in the movies, one of the biggest things is for females is that, okay, when I was in college, I experimented with another woman. That's when I had my lesbian experience. That's one of the huge, huge things that I see in movies. And it's kind of out there, but I know a few years ago when my daughter was in high school, it was so many young girls that were trying what sex was like with another female. It was more of that going on than it was for the younger boys to be trying and to be out and open with the fact that they wanted to try same sex with um, another male, same sex, sex, um, at that time. And why? Because society is more accepting of two women, whatever thing is people want us to have sex with who they want to have sex with, whatever their preference is, it's their preference. Let them have that. 
Don't beat them up for it. No one's beating you up for wanting to have sex with the opposite sex. So just think about it from that perspective. So that's some of the messages that we're getting. A few others is that women shouldn't ask for what they want. But if they don't ask, how are they going to be sexually fulfilled? If they're just receiving what someone else is giving to them, if that person doesn't know that they want a little more, a little less, or they want to just try something different, they are not going to be sexually fulfilled. They're just going to be accepting whatever is being given to them, which is not fair. Then women aren't supposed to enjoy sex. To hell with that one. And that kind of goes with asking for what you want. So when you enjoy it and you're able to ask for what you want, you get full pleasure out of that. Or either whatever is an issue for you, you can eliminate or at least decrease that issue to make that experience better. Men should not have kinky sex with their wives. That one. Very interesting, very interesting. So sometimes you may hear uh, a spouse say, well, I can't do this with her because it's my wife. One of the big things that was out on Instagram not too long ago was DJ Khaled saying that he would not have oral sex with his wife because he felt that her vagina was sacred and that's where his son came from. So he's not going to um, violate that area. And uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, um, posted something. A lot of people kind of went in on him. So when it comes to that, if his thinking is based on something somebody put into him, or if that is what he truly feels and truly believes and holds on to that wholeheartedly, let that man have that. But the thing is, fellas, if that's what you want to do and she is into it, accepting and willing, because a lot of women are thinking and talking and saying out loud, Oh, I wish he'd do that to me. I wish he'd come at my mouth. I wish he'd give it to me that way. Or, you know, they're seeing these things or these they're seeing these things in porn. And for those that will ask for them, they want it. And when they say these things, listen to them. Listen to them. And it's okay, especially if it's your spouse. Like this is the person that, if you all have that type of communication and relationship where you can connect that way, it's it's all good. It's all good. Enjoy each other with nothing, no barriers there, no holes barred and be willing to talk about it. Part of this podcast on on a whole is to help people have conversations that may be difficult to just bring up or to talk about, or even if they know they want to talk about it, they just don't know how to um, put words to it. They can't articulate it. So hopefully some of these things will be helpful to someone. Um, But that's all I have for you. So I hope you kind of take a look at the messages that you receive and think about those messages and how they have impacted the things that you talk about when it comes to sex and how you talk about it, the things that you think about when you have sex and how you think about it. 
and then the way that you have sex and really dig down deep within yourself and be honest with yourself and look at the fact of, so would I really want to do this? And I'm just afraid because fear does come in when there are things that you think someone else is going to shun or make fun of or put you down for or shame you for. And you don't want to express that. So that's a very real thing. And it's understandable. So but but being honest with yourself and knowing within yourself is where it should start. And then again, hopefully this podcast and other people in the world that have sex positive views will be able to help you feel better about these ideas, these feelings, and these thoughts so you can start having the sex that you really want to have. Talking about it the way that you honestly want to talk about it and think about it in a way that you don't feel any shame or guilt behind it. So listeners, that's all I have for you today on this topic on the birds and the bees. Hope you were able to get something from it. So we will be right back to close out the podcast. I have a little bit of information for you and um, connection information. So stay tuned. We're almost done. Be right back. Hey, welcome back. So we are about to close out of this episode. I want to thank you as always for listening, taking some time out to spend with me, your host Ray. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of information. So now you can find or any one of your friends, co-workers, whoever can find this podcast, Real Talk Discussions About Sex and Sexuality on multiple platforms so now we are on apple that's right we are on apple when you go out there if you're listening from the apple app in itunes please rate me please 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 rate me and um have fun listening there Google Podcast, that's another app where you can listen to podcasts. Then we are also on Breaker and Castbox. Through Breaker and the Castbox app, you can in platform, you can also subscribe to the podcast. So whenever a new podcast is released, it will immediately um, come into your app. And then the other platforms would be Overcast, Pocket Cast. Radio Public and on Spotify. So I'm so excited about that. So I hope you are continuing to listening. You will stay tuned for more episodes to come. And just before I go, I just want to let you know that you can find me on Facebook under the name Ray, R-A-E, last name Sean, S-H-A-U-N. You can check out when a podcast is listed there. You are welcome to post Anything you like, questions, suggestions, uh, comments, feedback, have conversation, keep it nice. There's no guilting and no shaming with this podcast. So if there's something that someone posts that you don't agree with or you don't care for, just remember everybody's entitled to their own opinion, their own beliefs, own desires. So just be respectful and I will catch you next time around Um, if you want to send an email you can reach me at 
real talk the podcast at yahoo.com that's real talk the podcast at yahoo.com so until next time be good guys